Hello and welcome to the Tez Magazine Debrief Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the 18th of June's issue of Tez. You have myself, Gwanya Hallahan, and Helen Amas, our commissioning editor, and Kate Parker, our FE reporter at Tez. So this week's cover is all about the evolution of the brain and it starts off with a really fascinating premise. Why is it that we accept some types of learning take time and be full of setbacks, like when we learn how to ride a bike, but others, when we come across adversity, we write ourselves off as not being suited to it or claim we just don't have that sort of brain. It's got some really interesting detail about which bits of our brain develop when and provides lots of food for thought. So do get reading it and impress your friends in the staff room with your new scientific crack. Okay, so today the first piece we're going to talk about is Kate's Choice, and it's one that she wrote. It's fair to say that it's a tough emotional read, but I think it's a really important one. Kate, do you want to start by first off telling us how you originally came across this story? Of course. So I don't know if people will be aware of this story or not. Um, It was in the news quite a lot of the time, but um, in 2017, a woman called Kerry McAuley was killed by her ex-boyfriend. Um, she was a mother of two and it was a really horrific attack and actually a couple of weeks before she was died she she was having a haircut and she told her hairdresser about some of the abuse that she was suffering um, and clearly her hairdresser didn't know how to respond or, or what to do about it um, and sadly she was killed but from that um, the police started um, kind of a campaign called Cut It Out, which recognised the role that hairdressers and other public service um, professionals can play in spotting the signs of domestic abuse and then also helping the victims. Um, and what's really great is this is now filtering down into colleges. So there's a major college group um, in the Midlands called Activate Learning um, and they do some fab stuff and they've been working with Nikki Clark. Um, hairdressing tied to Nikki Clark and also the Thames Valley Police in training their hairdressing students um, how to spot the signs of domestic abuse and crucially what you should do if you're in that situation where a customer is telling you that they've you know been assaulted by their boyfriend or it could be a man being assaulted by a woman or you know anyone really so it's really important and it's tough I mean these are like 16 17 year olds having this training so they're very young but everybody that I spoke to about it was saying how crucial it was that they do have this in part of their training and it's not just hairdressers it's like beauticians or even um, doctors vets builders you know anybody who deals with the public um, and you know might recognize signs and they can be really subtle signs but they are there and um, there's a lot that people can do to help. That is a lot, isn't it? Like that's it's, you're saying they're just sixteen, seventeen-year-olds, but you know, is that something that we need to be cautious about? Like, is there a risk of them being too young to deal with it? Do you think? So the teachers that I was speaking to were saying they are young, and actually, there's a risk that these are students that maybe have experienced this in their own lives, whether they maybe have seen it happen to a family member, or you know, these are young people having relationships for the first time, and it could be happening to them. So that's always something that you should be cautious of and colleges were amazing at you know spotting those signs already and watching out for them and I I asked I asked a teacher you know but these are so, these these children are they're ch- it's all children in my eyes you know they're so young and he said that actually the feedback that they'd got was amazing and that they do kind of put an extra pastoral support to make sure that they all understand um 
you know situation and and understand what they crucially it's about telling them what they should respond with and who they should signpost to and the younger that you tell you know young people how to do this the more effective they'll be then when they go into their workplace so it's all about having that kind of wraparound pastoral support but you know if you many you know many hairdressers and beauticians are young they are young my hairdressers are way younger than me you know because it's it's something that you you do when you're 16 you do an apprenticeship or you go to college for two years and then you're in then you're in the salon straight away so I think it it is important to have that pastoral wraparound but crucially it's important that we start training you know hairdressers and beauticians on this from the very beginning do you think there's something about that relationship that you do have with your hairdresser that sort of incites that 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 level of confidence that you have in them that you because you're not face to face because they're, they're sort of standing behind you and you're talking through the mirror and it feels less confrontational do you think that's part of the reason why that you have so many disclosures in the hairdressers yeah i do and nikki clark spoke about this with me he was saying that you know there's people that would have gone to the same hairdresser for like 10 20 years you go to the same salon the same hairdresser each time and actually you book a re- you book another appointment so you go in you have your hairdresser's appointment and then you book another one for like six to eight weeks time so it's a real routineness about it repetitiveness and actually hairdressers therefore can really spot signs as well so he was saying you know if you if you've been seeing a client for 10 years and they come in and they're normal Normally wearing clothes that are you know suited to their figure and they wear makeup and they like having their hair done and everything and then if they come in and all of a sudden they're wearing quite like baggy clothes or maybe aren't wearing makeup and are looking you know not themselves then hairdressers notice that and spot that and you can start and because you've already built up as such a strong relationship with this person you everybody you you sit in the hairdresser's chair and you end up telling your hairdresser all sorts don't you 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 know because you just that's just the way that those talks go sometimes and I think you do and it's also I think it's it's the fact that this person is connected to you but not so connected to you that you know whoever whoever your abuser is might find out through your hairdresser because your hairdresser doesn't know them doesn't speak to them and also it's a protective space so you you don't go to the hairdressers and your, your boyfriend or husband or whoever doesn't sit on the chair next to you while you're having your hair done they might they might wait outside um which is what thames valley was saying you know sometimes can happen but ultimately that's quite a safe space just you and your hairdresser and also there's so much noise so when you're having your hair done you know even though you're in like a room and six of the women might be having their hair done too it's quite um you're kind of in your like little bubble aren't you just you and your hairdresser um and yeah Nikki Clark was saying that element of that kind of private space also can really encourage disclosures and now, Helen, you you edited this piece, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. It was a really interesting read. And that that story at the beginning of the poor woman who who lost her life, it's it's shocking, but it, it you also think that that must happen an awful lot. Like this isn't isolated, is it? No, I mean, I think it's 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 a problem that is perhaps more widespread than a lot of people would think. And I think that um, with the COVID lockdowns that have been happening, we know for a fact that that has been having an impact on the numbers of cases of domestic violence. Um, I think there's a, um, I, I can't, I don't have the, the figures to hand, but um, in the um, the piece, we've got a box out talking about the, the increase um, in domestic violence. 
reports that have, have been happening because you know obviously everyone's been been stuck in their houses been stuck in these environments where they could be you know with their abuser day in day out so it is a really big problem and as Kate says it affects people of all ages um, and so the the earlier that we can make uh, young people aware of, of these issues and also crucially help them to sort of empower them to see that they can have a role in, in helping to tackle them, I think that that's going to be, you know, a really um, important step to take. Because that's exactly it, isn't it? Like if we hadn't done this, if this training didn't take place, if people were just going out as I have done in, in years gone by, you might have the hairdresser who's had this information disclosed to them and, OK, you might say nothing, but equally they could be giving really, like, the worst advice, couldn't they? Or they could be, they could be so, like, taken aback by it and not, not expecting it that they, they say entirely the wrong thing and try and reassure them that it's normal. Or, you know, we all say things when caught off guard that are not ideal. So it's great this training's happening because it could have been the case that people have actually given really, really poor advice not not intentionally, but just because they weren't weren't prepared for it. So please do get reading that piece, whether you're in FE, secondary or primary. I think it's a really important topic, particularly at the moment, as Helena said, when we know that reports of domestic violence have increased. So next up is my choice. And I've chosen this piece because I think it is something that re rarely varies from school to school. Back when I was a teacher, I was never lucky enough to work somewhere with meetings that didn't fall into the usual traps of overrunning, running for the sake of it, being run by particular members of the department to their own separate agenda that was completely different to what we were meant to be following. So it's no wonder that this week's leadership piece really appealed to me. It's written by the founder of Ivy House, Elka Edwards, and she goes through her five conditions for an effective meeting. And of all of them, it was the one about keeping everything above the line, which really stood out to me. And she was talking about this idea that when you're running a meeting, it's got to really be about like the good of the group and not about trying to like win the conversation or just getting your ideas across and being open to the idea that it's you know less about your ego and more about the outcome. Um, Helen, meetings. <laughs> you you've been a teacher. You've been in a school. I'm sure you can recognise those <laughs> those, oh. those ones that Elka talks about. Definitely. It's that thing, isn't it? When you, you finally get to the end of the day, you know, you've had a five period day, your last one's with, been with year nine and there's a bee in the room and then you suddenly have to clear everything up and go straight into a department meeting. And, you know, it's just, um, they need to happen, obviously. Um, Elk makes the point in the piece that there's uh, really important stuff that takes place in these meetings, whether that's you know, making decisions about next term's curriculum, making, um, you know, uh, going over things that are really important information for teachers to be aware of. But at the same time, you need to make sure that you're really focusing on making them as efficient and effective as possible and not just making people feel like they're having their time wasted. And I think that sometimes unfortunately that is what happens in schools and, and not just schools. I think it's, it's a problem in, in workplaces across the country, but you know, I think, teachers obviously are so time poor they've already got so much work to be getting on with that anything that takes time away from that is is going to be is going to be difficult isn't it it really is and i think like you said the meetings so often just get tagged on to the end of the day and without a bell to work for it's almost like people take more of a relaxed like oh this you know this can, this can run over this can take as long as it takes because you've been so rigidly 
locked all through the day with these these hour intervals that when you get to the end of the day, people seem to think, oh, I can just run over. When some members of the department really do need to leave when they need to leave, when the meeting ends, and you don't always get that sense of urgency. Um, mm. I know of some schools where they've moved it to the middle of the day, so they book people off so make, to make sure people can have meetings during the school day, and I think that really helps. Kate, mm. what are your biggest meeting bugbears? I hate having a meeting about having a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> when you if you've got like a massive I'd like to say that Tez is immune to all of these things obviously that would be my official line um but I think it's when you say if there's like a major meeting coming up and then you schedule in a meeting to talk about the meeting and that takes like another half hour out of your day that's super annoying and I think it's it's so hard because I think when we've all been at home and quite isolated over the past year it's really easy for work meetings to then just kind of like trail off and talk about you know your what's going on in your personal life and everything that's happening because obviously like none of us were going anywhere or getting out so then it's kind of a work meeting that then talks like turns into this kind of just general catch-up um which then you sat there thinking I don't really care about you know what you what your dog's you know been eating or like who you've been out with or you know who you're zooming later tonight or whatever um I think work meetings should probably stay as maybe that's me just being you know a massive <laughs> I don't know unfriendly doesn't like unsocial doesn't want to talk to anybody but um <laughs> it's when they become something that they're not really supposed to be I find really annoying I think any time when you've got people who are friends in a meeting and it turns into like their social event rather than the purpose of the meeting, it's really irritating. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? And it, it's um, we've we've all just Elk mentions that thing of of the meeting just being a recurring event in the calendar, and 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 departments and and teams just winding up having a meeting because it's in the calendar rather than for any other reason you know but because they haven't they haven't thought really carefully about what it is they're actually trying to get out of the meeting and it, it's really sort of obvious basic stuff in a way you know just just thinking about what is the actual purpose of this meeting what do I expect people to take away and it's so easy to not do that stuff simply because you know you're rushed and you're um, busy and you've got too much to think about so um, yeah I think it's definitely really worth a read just to see how much of yourself and your own meeting technique you recognise in it perhaps for school leaders. Now one of the suggestions that Elka makes made me initially go nope nope that's a silly idea and then and then it, like, she almost called me out in it as I carried on reading and, and by the end I was convinced actually maybe this is a good idea and it was her her last suggestion that maybe we need to take time during a meeting every now and every few weeks to consider was this meeting effective what made it effective what could we lose I thought that's a waste of time I'm not going to sit in a meeting and talk about how effective the meeting is but actually as she pointed out that if you take the time to do like that 15 minutes every couple of months or you know every few weeks could save you hours and hours of wasted meeting time in the future sign me up yeah absolutely I'm willing to have that conversation what about you Kate would you would you buy into that having a meeting discussing the effectiveness of meetings uh I think initially probably like you that I would just make me like oh god I can't be bothered with that but then actually if it um if it meant that in the future the meetings were more effective and actually feel like you're getting more out of it then definitely I think there's probably a lot of people that could um 
you know everywhere in, in every workplace as well not just in schools or in colleges or wherever people actually getting the most out of the meetings is the most important thing so if if you know having a 15 minute reflection is as you know inward looking as horrible or as uncomfortable I find that really uncomfortable thinking god if I perform well in this meeting is probably not something that I would want to think about um <laughs> but if it made a more effective going forward then why not how about you Helen would you sign up to that giving yourself a mark out of 10 for your meeting effectiveness yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'd be slightly concerned to know what my mark out of 10 would be, to be honest. But um, no, I, I completely agree. When I was uh, editing the piece, I got to that point and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to cut that bit. That's a ridiculous suggestion. I thought exactly the same thing. And then and then as I thought about it, just like you, Gronya, I thought, well, no, that does make sense. We do that for everything else. We reflect on our practice and, and we're supposed to be doing more of that. Um, and it, you know, it, again, it just it sort of speaks to this thing of meetings being um, not not seen as something that you need to think about and you need to take time over. And actually, they are because you know people's time is precious, and and you might be wasting it. And this is actually something teachers are really good at. They're so used to self reflection. We self reflect about um, the lessons themselves all the time. So actually, I reckon it's a. It's a Brilliant. It's a perfect suggestion for teachers to do because this is their exact skill set. So put a schedule into your calendar, make the time to read it, have a little meeting with yourself and get to grips with the 10 tips for meetings. Okay, so our final piece today, I apologise if you've not yet had your lunch because it's going to make you hungry if you haven't. Helen, tell me about your pick this week. Yeah, so this is um, one of our uh, growth mindset required columns um, and it's been written by uh, Gemma Hargraves who's a, a history teacher, a secondary history teacher and uh, a head of lower school um, and she is talking about um, an initiative that they've put in place in their school um, to have a culture week that's all um, that's, that encompasses lots of different uh, activities but at the heart of it is going to be a focus on food and exploring uh, the food of different cultures. And I think um, she makes some really interesting points with it because in recent years, there's been this real push towards um, cultural education and, and seeing that as something that can um, kind of be a, a leveler for students. Uh, cultural education is really important um, in order to sort of bridge um, achievement gaps and attainment gaps. And we think about that in terms of, you know, visiting museums, going to galleries, uh, but I think very rarely do we think about that in terms of exposure to different foods and, and, and different cultures through food. And yet food is such a big part of culture. You know, when you, if you go um, back when we were allowed to go on holidays, if you go on holiday, one of my favourite things was always, you know, trying local foods. And I'm a bit of a foodie myself, so I've always found that really um, a really exciting part of, of kind of travel and things. And it's something that we just probably don't do enough of in schools. We, we look at food in food technology, we look at nutrition. But, you know, if you think back to your school days, how much did you get exposed to food of different cuisines? Um, and, and that's something that, that Gemma thinks is, is really important to perhaps change uh, and, and thinks that it's, it's going to be really important for, you know, creating memories and experiences for her students. I think it's a brilliant piece. I love it. And I think it's it's a way in for for so many people to start thinking about like more than just that culture and to, to feel connected to something. Kate, are you a bit of a food? I, I've had lunch with you before. You're a bit of a foodie. I am a bit of a foodie. Um, 
Yeah, I, it's it's the same as like Helen. Like I would only choose to go somewhere on holiday because I want to taste the food. So like me and my fiance are planning our honeymoon in Italy, and the reason we've chosen to do that is because we both love Italian food. That is literally like, and we'll discover more about the culture while we're there. But that that was kind of like our main driver. But the food is such a big part of the culture, isn't it? Like the, when we think about the culture of a place, a lot of it centres around food, doesn't it? It does. And I, do you know what? I don't remember ever at school having anything like that. Like, like what she describes, there was nothing like that at all. We, you know, and we, we had school dinners. Like, there was no reason why, you know, when you go and get your hot school dinner, why it couldn't have been, you know, different food, different cultures for different weeks and things like that. It seems like a trick that maybe a lot of schools are missing out on. When I think about what I had for my school dinners, there was nothing cultural about it. <laughs> I think, and that's one of the points that Gemma makes, is it, it provides a kind of a starting point for people to talk about their own cultures. And, and you know, she talks about um, Kendall Mint Cake and Grassmere Gingerbread and Parkin as being her sort of cultural foods that she's hoping to sort of share with students and, and, and in exchange is going to sort of share in some of their, um, uh, you know, the foods that they grew up with. Um, and so it, it is that starting point to talk about our communities and our cultures and it sort of, you know food connects people doesn't it it does indeed and as you've both claimed to be foodies i've put together a little quiz for you just test oh, you God. on your on your food knowledge <laughs> so i think you mean you mean kate oh goody goody yeah. that's right isn't it? yes okay so question number one where do croissants come from this is a where do they come from quiz so where do croissants come from which country france as in the region or country? <laughs> Just the country. It's not. Is it a trick <laughs> question? France. <laughs> uh, Kate. France. No, they're Austrian, silly bitties. Really? <sighs> Look at you. Yeah, they're Austrian. People Good often grief. think they're from France, but actually, they're they're Austrian, and they used to be called. They're they're based on the Austrian Kipfel, which is yeah. It's made a lot in France now, but, you know, originally it was Austrian. OK, number two, spring rolls. As in, like, the little fried with the vegetables inside it, spring rolls. Sometimes called egg rolls. See, I, Where do they come from? Where do I they would want to say China, but now I'm doubting oh. myself because I said France. Now and that we, know, was wrong. we know the tricks, don't we? I tricks, feel like maybe it's yeah. going to be somewhere completely different. It's not a trick, you know. If you know the answer, it's not a trick. Where, where, <laughs> where do you think they're from? You're saying China. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I don't know. I'm gonna go Vietnam. Vietnam. Oh, I, I love the summer rolls in Vietnam. They're delicious, aren't they? Mm. The, I made them when I went when I went to Vietnam. Yeah. It was fun. Um, you're both wrong. They're American. So they're inspired by Chinese food, but they're definitely American. So now the next one, you'll probably get this. Vindaloo. Where does Vindaloo come from? You both did say you both said you both said you were foodies. You're so close, Kate, because that's where um, chicken tikka masala comes from. Is Birmingham? Yeah. But not not Vindaloo. Helen, are you going to stick with your brick, brick Lane guess, or are you going to...? Well, yes, I'm going to stick with my Brick Lane guess as an East Londoner. 
<laughs> that is actually from Portugal. So Portuguese explorers <laughs> took it. Um, no idea. Came up with it. They went to India, came back, and they were inspired by it, and they they made it. Isn't that interesting? And then finally, I got one last one: sauerkraut, which I hated as a kid, but I actually quite like it now. Sauerkraut. Well, my, I mean, the obvious answer is Germany, but I'm going to have to say it, even though I, I know the pattern now. I'll, I'll give you a clue. You've given it as an answer for a previous question that you were wrong about. France? It's not French, no. Oh. I don't think the French are going for sauerkraut. I can't, I just can't see it. Brick Lane? China? <laughs> <laughs> go on, Kate, have a go. China? I it's, China. It's, China. it's China! It's China! Wow. I got one right! <laughs> you got one right! <laughs> but yes, apparently it was um, Genghis Khan who introduced it to Europe. Mm. You know, I'm sure all of these answers are right because I found it on the internet, but... Um... <laughs> Helen, we need, we've got some brushing up to do. We have, yeah. <laughs> we, need to, we need to get on Wikipedia. <laughs> So well, maybe if... we could just go to Brit Lane. I prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> sold, sold. Let's just go to Brit Lane and try everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for playing the quiz. And thanks for being our guest today and joining us on the podcast. That's all for this week. And tune in next week. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief Podcast and want to read more of Tez Magazine online, and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tes.com forward slash store.